So, welcome to episode 10 of I Bought a Football Club. My name's Stephen Cleave. Um, this is the show that takes you through the business of running football clubs, which is a little bit different and hopefully shows you a different slant on things than what you're usually used to. Um, if you agree with me, then please do send me an email. You can do so um, by checking. There's a little box on the details. You just hit that and there's a link and you can leave an audio message. And any anything you'd like to tell me or quiz me or ask me a question or get any views on things, feel free to leave an audio message. If you leave an audio message, I can then play it on this programme. Or just feel free to email me, chairman at kltown.co.uk, and you'll get a response. So, uh, moving on to today's show, it's been, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, people, will I know are on my back at the beginning of the week, uh, in a nice way, asking where the podcast was. And the reason it wasn't out was because I assumed that we were going to have a meeting at the beginning of the week with League One, and we were going to determine how the season was going to play out. But in actual fact, that meeting was about another meeting where they were going to put suggestions forward as to how the season can end, and we'll probably cover a little bit more about that at the end of the show. And now the vote, as I understand, is happening on Tuesday, next Tuesday, which will determine whether the season should end or whether the season um, will continue. And if so, how it continues or even if it ends, how it ends. Which means we'll have to wait towards the end of next week to get some clarity of where we are um, for the National League and to see what how that's going to develop. Plus, of course, there's the added curveball of Macclesfield having to have a disciplinary hearing and that could uh, represent or mean that they, they lose points and if that happens of course they could end up with a suspended sentence already looming over them uh, find themselves in the bottom spot as opposed to Stevenage and of course the other further curveball is that if anyone um, you know, goes into administration between now and the end of the season then either Stevenage or Macclesfield will both be saved because um, they will perhaps take their place so there's a lot of things that could happen in a lot of different ways that none of us know. So we'll have to see how that all plans out. So on to today's show. Today I've got a very interesting guest, um, none other than Chris Turner. And Chris Turner will be known to several people um, because he runs very, you know, he's been involved in different ways in football. He was the first team manager at Hartlepool. He was the first team manager at Sheffield Wednesday. Um, he was also the first team manager at Stockport County. Uh, then returned to become the director of football at Hartlepool, the CEO at Chesterfield. Uh, then he went to Port Vale, and at the moment he's extremely interesting. He's he's setting up. We had last week um, Spencer on, who bought the worst club in the UK, and uh, complete opposite. Chris is setting up the newest club, probably in the UK, in Wakefield, which uh, you'll hear has got all sorts of council. I hope you're going to hear. I always say I record this before I record the interviews, but how the council are backing him and giving him a six million pound training facility and how it's the biggest city in the UK without a professional football club. So we're going to hear about how how he's going to take this club from step seven to wherever. I don't know where. We'll find out in a moment. And um, just a general chat about how he feels the season's going and what he feels should happen and what, what's gone on with, in his uh, career, which has certainly been you know varied and very interesting. And um, maybe I'm sure he'd give us a, his opinion on how those clubs are performing at the moment and what he feels is going to happen. So there's lots in it. And then next week, I will hope, hopefully, get a podcast out directly after we've heard the vote of League One to give you a, uh, some, some, um, some pointers on that and um, answer any questions that you may have and also 
give you some uh, I've got some very interesting guests lined up next week so we, we've got I know and obviously today so we've got we've got a lot going on in the show which is which is great thank you for your comments I'm glad to see we've made the Australian charts as well as the Norwegian charts as well as the British charts it's a bit confusing if we don't get the Spotify figures I only get the Apple charts which isn't and we, we only get 30 percent less than 30 percent on Apple most of it goes to Spotify which is fine which just doesn't mean it means we don't know how well we're doing really doing because um, most of it goes on there most people have most of their stuff on Apple and a little bit on Spotify, but we're the other way around. So that's it. Anyway, there we go. So let's get on with the show today and I will come back to you at the end and we will just um, wrap up with a few bits and pieces and I'll tell you what's going on at our end. So um, let's get Chris on the phone. Just before I put Chris on, um, the recording that we did with Chris, there was there were two gaps in it. So unfortunately, there's three recordings with Chris. The first two last just two minutes. And then the third one is the bulk of the recording, which actually is perfect. So I apologise for that. But I just want rather than redoing it all, you know, it, it's just going to be a little bit stop, start, stop, start when you listen to the first couple of minutes. So I apologise for it. But rather than um, re-recording it each time, I, I, whenever it got to two minutes, it suddenly cut off. I don't know why that was and how that happened. But just wanted to explain it to you and um, I'll put the recordings on now and then I'll come back to you at the end. Thanks. It would be great pleasure today to welcome uh, Chris Turner on, onto the show. Chris, welcome. Good morning, Steve. Uh, How are you, just, Chris? Uh, I'm fine, thank you. I'm, I'm actually sat in my car on the drive. I'll tell you why, because I forgot yesterday that I've got four builders in the house uh, doing my bathroom and they're outside at the back uh, sewing away and... Um, <laughs> So, so I've had to come in the quietest place I could, and it's on the uh, in the car on the drive. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect. Is it raining? We're ra- we're raining here. No, Are you no, up the sun is shining in sunny Sheffield. Oh, lovely, lovely. Well, I hope you don't get too hot sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never thought of that one, but no, I'm okay. Yeah, good, good, good. So, look, there's lot, there's lots to talk about today. So, we're, so shall we start off with your new project first? With that, with should we work backwards? That sounds like quite a good idea. What do you think? Yeah, that's um, fine. That's fine. Um, so, tell, tell, tell us about it because it's, it's a very interesting show because you're essentially setting up a brand new club, aren't you? Well, we're trying to set, set up a brand new professional football club um, in Wakefield, which is the biggest city in the UK that hasn't currently got a professional football club now. To, to become a professional football club will take a number of good number of years. We've got to go out, work through the semi-pro levels, uh, obviously, to get to the, prof- the professional level round about com- uh, national league. Um, we were an academy uh, playing pro clubs, uh, eighteen to twenty-two year olds, but last year I decided and I spoke with uh, Mike Hegarty and said, "Look, we need to we need to be playing clubs." Uh, Playing men's football rather than junior football against players at, at semi uh, at, sorry at professional clubs who won't get in anywhere. So he then decided. He said, "Listen, Wakefield have tried before and and failed to uh, to have its own professional club." Oh, Chris, you've just suddenly disappeared after saying it's great reception. Can you hear me, Chris? Hello, hello. Chris, are you there? No. I'm going to have to send you another email and call you back. Welcome back. I'm not sure what happened. (laughs) Anyway. I don't know. I don't know. 
it died. But yeah, carry on anyway, Chris. We're, we're yeah, so we, we're, we're setting up a brand new football club. It's going to take a bit of time to get it uh, yeah. to where we would like it to be. But with uh, commercial partners coming on board, Wakefield's the biggest city in the UK without a professional club. Um, we've got a lot of partners coming on board, uh, sponsors, uh, investment. Um, you know, we're not going to be a Salford. We're going to be a community-based sporting club with Wakefield Trinity, our host in their stadium. Um, and, you know, we, we're trying to build as uh, big a community club as possible. Uh, it's exciting. We've got new projects of a training, uh, training complex. And as I said earlier, the £12 million stadium being redeveloped at uh, current site where Wakefield Trinity play their uh, Premiership uh, Rugby League games. And sure. uh, it's exciting. So very exciting. So tell me, how's it all being financed then? Tell me, tell me how the numbers are working. Well, the numbers are worked by, by utilising um, uh, students uh, coming to our, you know, built into our club is education. Sure. Um, okay. And uh, we've got great links with Leeds Met University and Wakefield College, which do all degree courses. So we get a squad of players who come along and they do a sports degree and they're uh, coming as students to the city, but also to come and do full time uh, football training, playing in games on Saturday in the Sheffield County Senior Premier League, which we were in last season and did well. Um, and we're also going internationally with uh, students coming from, uh, currently we've got people looking at coming from Egypt, Saudi, Dubai, you. Oh. Chris, every time it gets to two minutes, you seem to disappear. Uh, let me just send you a text so you can, uh, you're talking. Um, uh, Chris, can you hear me? Just sent you a text when you're on the phone to see. Very irritating these broadband signals. How anyone can operate in the UK without broadband is beyond me. It just makes our lives very difficult, doesn't it? Um, we need a bit more connectivity. Um, I think what I'm going to do is ring you back, Chris, again um, for another time uh, straight away. And that's what I'm going to do because it's just it's just not it's just not operating. Okay, I'm going to call. Hello, Stephen. I've got I've gone into a different part of the house where I hope I don't get disturbed. Okay, don't worry. Anyway, we've got you. If at first you don't succeed and all that kind of thing, yeah. so we're giving a go for the third time. So look, we got to international students. You know? yes. So so they're coming from all around the world. We got that bit just before you, we lost you. And then what? So how are you getting those people? And how are they coming across? What, what's the story? Well, we, we've we've advertised them word of mouth. We've had international students over the last three or four years when when it was in a an a, an a international academy sure and, uh, so we've got contacts i've got agents all around europe and uh who, and, and links in america of gordon hill the ex-manchester united um international winger um helps him with the uh, us um mickey spate 
who uh, used to play for Sheffield United in Norway, and Shane, who's coming in as our development coach, has got uh, contacts in Norway, and so on and so on. So sure. you know, we 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 uh, we're doing okay. We're doing That's okay. good. So what happens? They they come across and they do a are they doing a B tech or something similar to that? No, or? You have to do, to come into the club. You you have to do a B tech three at minimum, and then they do a sports degree or any degree that they would like to do. Right. Uh, can find it via Leeds Met University. We have a Nigerian boy doing an engineering degree at Leeds Met. Okay. Yeah. So uh, you know we've uh, we're well catered. We work we cater well, and then obviously during the week and on Saturday it's football. Sure. And it's for their enjoyment. And know. they find their own accommodation, do they, or you sort that out? Well, we do accommodate up to thirty players, and we have got, we have got increased. Um, Accommodation for 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 next season and beyond. Um, we've uh, in the city we've uh, linked up with a landlord who's got lo a lot of property that's available, and we we rent it off them. Good, gosh, so that's quite it's quite 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 a project. So then I guess you've got to expect the fans to come and do a big big stadium. What, 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 is it twelve thousand? You say Wakefield Trinity's going to hold? Yeah? Well, I think uh, it'd be ten thousand uh, stadium when 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 it's completed. Sure. But, um, you know, it's going to take time. I mean, last season we were getting a small band of merry men who used to, and ladies who used to come and watch us. But the big thing always was we, we were just outside the border in Barnsley where we played. And a lot of people said, well, if you play in Wakefield, we'll come and support you. Sure. Next season we will be in Wakefield uh, playing at our tr new training complex. And then obviously when the uh, stadium, um, uh, or partly the stadium's ready, uh, we'll go and play in the, the first team. We'll play in the stadium uh, where Trinity play their Super League. Yeah, magnificent, very good. I mean, this is a very, very bold plan, and, and the council then would be very supportive, you know, investing money in the training centre for you, etc. That's quite. That must be quite rare these days. Well, it is. I mean, uh, it, it's complex. It would take all day to describe, but um, it's uh, you know the, the city of Wakefield. Um, uh, you know, is renowned obviously for Wakefield Trinity, who've been a fantastic ambassadorial sporting club for the city. Sure. Um, but you know, there is a, a high number of people in the city who would like to see the, a football club. So here's their chance, here's their opportunity to uh, to help build a football club in their city. Yeah. And uh, we're, we're hoping that we that we can uh, rack up some good support, rack up some good. Uh, uh, commercial uh, businesses and, and and kick on. Yeah, and, and and I guess most of the people in Wakefield, what are they? Leeds fans, as a, as a general rule. Well, you know, in a close proximity of Wakefield, you've got obviously Leeds United, which is about seven miles. You've got Barnsley, about the same. You've got Sheffield clubs just twenty-five minutes down the motorway. Mm. Um, Doncaster, twenty-five minutes down the motorway. So you know, some good, some big clubs and. Uh, but you know, we we we're obviously not going to take supporters off them. What we would like, certainly with Leeds, which is really on the doorstep, and Barnsley's, they they they, they see us as a, a second club, or you know, let's pop along and have a look and see what's happening at Wakefield. Sure, that's it. And what and what's the plan? I mean, where, where do you think you're going to end up with it all? Where would you like to end up with it all? Well, I'm not going to say. I tell you what, when when I took over Sheffield Wednesday manager in 2002, uh, I said I did say that. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, which I said was Sheffield Wednesday, need to be back where they used to be, which was European in European football yeah. within five years. Well, everybody kept saying, "Oh, you said that they'd be back in Europe in five years." I didn't say <laughs> that. I said they need to be back in. So you know, once again, 
you know, we don't set a goal that we must be in Conference North by five years or National League or anything silly like that. We we know it's going to, we've got our own plan behind closed doors in terms of investment and what it's going to cost us to go forward. Um, but but uh, we want to we want to go up the leagues as quickly as we can, um, if possible. You know, sure. it's, you know we will have to start paying players, uh, semi-professional players, as you go up the league, uh, up the leagues, etc. So, uh, you know, but uh, you know we want to go at a good pace. But you know, we're not going to be uh, sprinting and uh, everything else before we can even walk. No, and and is the idea to use the players coming? Who are doing the education courses, or is the idea to use some of them and bolster them up with, you know, more local players? Yeah, more local. Oh, yeah, local players who know the leagues that we that we will be playing in uh, will be brought in. Adam has already made contact with a number of players, and players have made contact with us that would like to come and play for us next year. See, for for you know, the the big selling point for us will be playing in a in a uh, ten thousand seater uh, all purpose stadium, sure. which. You know, at semi-professional level, is rare. Very rare, very rare. And do you have to pay rent on that, or will you have to? No, but well, there will be rent to be paid. But obviously, um, uh, the trust who will be uh, in, heavily involved in in the running of the stadium, we you know, will make ways and means of making money to keep the rent down. Sure. And obviously, if we're going to go into this stadium, we'd be looking for anything up to five hundred supporters at least watching us in the games. Which sure. Will, then bring in uh, income. Yeah, and I guess you could you, you, you could be emboldened really by, I mean, for, forgiving the rights and the wrongs of the MK Don scenario, um, they must be new fans that have all arrived there at that stadium. Um, would you not agree? So that was that would probably be, uh, you know, it, it's quite possible to build up a, a, a fan base. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. The, 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 you know, as I say, I keep saying that community so we're going out to the community when everybody's you know when the lockdown's over players are coming in students are coming in etc we'll be going into the local schools and and uh, being uh, seen in the community so that uh, young supporters uh, come on board with us and 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 they grow up having their own football team in Wakefield to go and, to go and support yeah sure sure well that's a very ambitious project project so t- t- tell me I mean, because because you've you've got a very interesting CV. If you think about it, because you've been a player, yeah, Manchester yeah. United, yeah. Goal, you're a goalkeeper, weren't you? From memories, that's right. right. Yeah. yeah, and I remember you at Man U. I remember you were at Sunderland, weren't you? That were your two that's long, right. yeah, Sheffield or, Wednesday, Sheffield Wednesday. So they're your three, the three big clubs, and then you went from there into management, and there and from there into the boardrooms. You've done it all, yeah. You've done it, and and you and you're a qualified coach, yeah. Your yeah. A badge and all the rest yeah. of it. So, yeah. so I mean, so starting on the on 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 the football side of things, I mean. Did you love? Did you love that? Was that in your blood? You always wanted to be a professional footballer. Always wanted, always wanted to be a professional footballer. From when my mum and dad took me to watch Sheffield Wednesday play from ages of two onwards, um, and watching Sheffield Wednesday play in professional football, I always wanted to be a footballer. I was very fortunate that when I left school uh, at fifteen in those days, um, I, I, I didn't have any qualifications whatsoever. I just felt I wanted to be a footballer. Unfortunately, I made it. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody today. I think qualifications are vital in life today. Sure. Um, but, um, you know, I was dedicated. I worked extremely hard uh, at my game. Um, I wasn't the biggest goalkeeper in the world, as the people used to keep telling me, but I was, in my opinion, and in a lot of other people's opinion, I was good at what I did, and I got to play at the highest level. 
You did. And uh, any any interesting stories from those days of playing that anything that sticks in the mind or interesting scenarios that yeah, you often think about or often you know, the memory gets triggered? Well, and you I, think, th oh. I think I think that that, that that you'd always, you know, we sit down, especially over the last 10 weeks when you've had plenty of time on your own to sit and, and your mind wanders back to when you, you know, when you was a, a professional footballer. And, you know, I look at... Um, I look at some matches that I played in on YouTube uh, recently and, you know, I've never really bothered to do that before until I've had all this time on my hands. And, and, and you look back and you think, wow, I was only 17 when I first played my first game for Sheffield Wednesday in, in Division 3 then, which would be uh, Division 1 now. Um, I was 17 and, and I was in the first team. And, and I think, how, how did they do it? You know, how, how, how did they get there? And, and um, you know, I, I, you go through your career, and you know, either major decisions, four or five major de decisions. Do I sign for Sunderland or do I sign for Watford under Graham Taylor? Mm -hmm. I made the decision to go to Sunderland because, and I've never ever been to Sunderland in my life apart from playing in the Sheffield Wednesday youth team at a place called Washington. Was outside Sunderland. I've never seen Roker Park apart from pictures or anything. Mm. And I've been down to see Graham Taylor down at Watford. And um, Graham offered me a contract and I took my wife down, Debbie, and, and we went down. We spoke with Graham Taylor. And uh, when we came out of Vicarage Road, I said, come on, let's just go and look at the local estate agents, etc." Yeah. And I only in those days had a house that I bought for 9250 It was valuation was about 12, 12 and a half. And I went into an estate agent in Watford and I said, uh, I'm just looking at some houses for sale and they asked me what sort of price range and I'm 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 thinking way over the top here. I'm thinking twenty-five grand. Right. <laughs> and they said, Whoa, you'll only get a semi-detached, which is run down and needs a lot of money spending on it. I says, Well, she says, What's your property worth that you've got now? I says twelve and a half. She says, Oh dear me. Well, where do you live? So I said, Sheffield and and uh, uh, you know, the price differences was frightening. Mm. So when we came out of that shop, I says, come on, Debs, we're going to go up to Sunderland and sign for Ken Knight at, at, uh, at Sunderland. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I was only a young lad, 18, 19, and, and I, never rang, I never rang Graham up to say, Graham, I've made my decision and I'm going to Sunderland. Mm. And a few weeks after, I'd, you know, I'd arrived at Sunderland, a letter came in the post to Roker Park from Graham Taylor, lovely letter. I've still got it today, mm -hmm. uh, explaining uh, everything regarding uh, the the you know about transfers of players and, and this that and the other. And his last line of the letter was, and I remember it all the time. Is always remember this: whenever you want to say no, never be afraid to say no. <laughs> and uh, I've, obviously, over the years, I played against his teams and, and, and met him, and what a lovely guy he was. Yeah, oh, lovely story. Very good story. And I guess you played under uh, Manchester United. I guess you played under Ron Atkinson. He would have been around. I played under Ron Atkinson yeah. for 18 months and then I had Ron at Sheffield Wednesday for another 18 months. And, I, uh, and obviously I played 18 months under Sir Alex. Did you? Because uh, Ron, uh, I mean, the last time I met Ron, I think, was on a... Uh, was in Japan or Korea? I think it was in Japan when we went for the World Cup. Remember that World yeah, Cup? Yeah, there, yeah. yeah. And and you know, and, and he's he's a large of a live character, isn't he? And we, we oh. miss people like that. <laughs> Ron, Ron, Ron Atkinson is is a, a players' manager, a club manager. Um, 
always does a good job wherever he's been, signed some great players, um, and, and, and was one of the first few managers in the country to sign black players. Yeah, he was, wasn't he? Uh, was that at West Brom, wasn't it? At West Brom, they had some yeah. tremendous Cyril, the late Cyril Regis, Laurie. Yeah. People Cook, often forget that. Brendan they? Batson, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, Carlton Palmer, who came to Sheffield Wednesday. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they. I mean, Carlton loves loves Big Ron, loves Big Ron, and there's not a hint of racism in Big Ron whatsoever. No, 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 exactly. People, people, people. I, I think have often forgotten that part of the story. I'm sure. Yeah. I, I, well, uh, evidently so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, I agree. Um, it, it's a shame. So tell me, um, uh, that that was that was that. Then then you went into management, and how how did you find management compared to being a player? Well, I did. I did. I did me. I did me. Um, upbringing really because I did I did uh, a little bit at Lake Norian and then I went to Wolves uh, sorry Leicester did 12 months with the ex-England international fullback David Nish at Leicester then I went to Wolves I did four years at Wolves uh, brought into the game the likes of uh, Robbie Keane Keith Andrews Lee Naylor um, Matt Murray the goalkeeper Jolie and Lescott they were all in my team at Wolves and then one day, I, 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 you know, I was sitting down in the office and uh, uh, the PFA rep came to see me. And um, we were going through the, the way forward for youth team coaches and, and all that. And it was going to be more uh, in a classroom, more filling in books and, and, and uh, all this scenario. And I decided, well, that ain't for me. My, I want to be on the training pitch with players. I think it's time now to... Um, look into uh, stepping up to first team uh, management and uh, a week or two after that the Hartlepool United position became available and I applied for it and I eventually got that position to go into management and management's totally different to playing um, you know management management is a is a, is a bug but um, it's uh, uh, not as good as playing not as good right as okay but it's mm. it's Probably the next best. Only when you win mine. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> massive highs, massive lows. All oh, usual. I mean, yeah. Saturdays. I mean, when I played, I'd be sitting in a dressing room after the game, after a victory, um, and say you were playing um, Arsenal one week, and then we were playing Liverpool next week. I'd soon turn my thoughts into, right, the strikers next week at Liverpool are Dalglish and Rush. You know, so you know, you think I think in that and management's the same. You only get you only get a few hours of uh brewing over a, a, a defeat or celebrating a victory before you then think, Oh god, it's uh, Scunthorpe United away next week or it's uh you know uh, Luton Town at home. And you, you, your mind then starts switching into planning. How do they play? Three, five, two. Who's the boys up front? Did he knock it in, uh, in behind? So your mind's all the time. Football yeah. management, seven days, 24 hours every day. Yeah. I, I do think it's easier now to become a manager. But when I say easier, to be a manager with all the data, you've oh, got, all the videos. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. yes. Yeah, By sure. a million miles, I mean, um, especially if you're in the championship stroke, uh, Premier League. Uh, you know, in my day, early days, um, and, and before me, managers were on the road three or four nights a week looking at players, trying to find players. Um, you'd have scouts and everything. But nowadays, it's all done on laptops and it's all done on 
data, finding out, you know, you know, the great stories of, you know, I know, I know when I was at Leicester, Martin O'Neill was manager at Leicester and he sat outside uh, Neil Lennon's house where he was playing at Crew. He was sitting out like a cluffy style, sitting outside Le uh, Neil Lennon's house one night waiting for him to come home so he could grill him to, 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 to get him to sign for Leicester. That, that, right. that doesn't seem to happen these days. <laughs> no. Well, if it does, you'd be in trouble, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you got so, so, I mean, you managed some big clubs, Leighton Orient, Hartlepool, Sheffield Wednesday, Stockport. And, I mean, out of them all, did you have a favourite or that would be would that be unfair on the rest? United was, 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 my, was, my, was my best period because I took them from second bottom. I had 14 games to keep them in the Football League. Um, we managed to stay stay in, the, in, in, the, in those 14 games. And then I went from there to three years on the spin, getting into League Two playoffs. And then the following season, after the third season, um, I left them to go to Sheffield Wednesday, 14 points clear at the top of League Two. So, right, that was amazing. And, yeah, and, very and, good. Uh, in all those three years, we were gradually getting better and stronger and better and better. And when we lost, which was unbelievably on penalties at Cheltenham in a League Two uh, playoff semi final, uh, mm. I, I can picture it now speaking to the press. So obviously, it's a third disappointment in those semi finals. And I, and, and I was quite, we played really, really well in both games, missed some chances, and then gone out on penalties. And I did say my first couple of lines is, well, I know we've lost again tonight, or we've not got through again tonight. And I said, but I can tell you now, we've got a squad and a team of players that next season will win home and away consistently well, and we will get promoted. And, you know, we were winning every week. And uh, like sure. I said, I left them 14 points clear. So as a manager, that's a rarity because, you know, it's a rarity in, in as such that you, I was on the touchline and I knew before we kicked off, we'll win today or we'll certainly um, uh, certainly have a great chance of winning. That's, that's the squad I had. And it's very rare you get to that point as a manager because you don't get time to build your team um, to get to that point. I'll tell you, at Sheffield Wednesday, I was 18 months the manager. I had 14 months with three or four other managers, players that I had to keep because of the contract situation. Then sure. when all the contracts were up one summer, uh, I freed 15 players, some big names in the squad that fans liked, etc. But we couldn't afford them, even at Sheffield Wednesday in those days. And I had to build a squad around two and a half million pounds, which I did. And unfortunately, right. I only, only had two months of a football season with them. I had three wins, three draws, three defeats. Um, I lost my job. Paul Sturrock took over. And they eventually got that season to the playoff final. Played Hartlepool, believe it or not. And, I, and, got, mm. and, and won promotion to the championship. But Paul did say very quickly after the final whistle that a lot of this effort today has been put in by Chris Turner's recruitment. Uh, prior to the start of the season, and we really appreciate it. So I appreciated that from Paul. Yeah, very, very, very nice touch. And it's important recruitment. Would you say recruitment's probably the most important? Oh, thing without doubt, manager? absolutely yeah. without doubt. If I bought a football club tomorrow, uh, the the first position, you know, managers important. Don't get me wrong, uh, sure. but it's a guy or guys who are bringing in your young players, or they're bringing in your first team players that they know what they're doing, that they've got experience and they can bring players in because, you know, as you know, you, 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 you bought a football club, yes? 
yeah. is, is, is players coming into your club. You've got to try and make uh, as least many mistakes as possible. And the players that you bring in, you know, they've got to be the right sort of people, the right sort of players. They understand what you want to, how you want to play. And you've got to click them together as quickly as you can and get them playing. And um, for smaller clubs, it's a lifeline because you bring in players in, you're developing them, you make them into better players and you sell one or two on, which brings in income to keep you going or allows you then to bring in more players to develop and, and produce a better team. Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and, what, and how do we stop it? Obviously, you're going to have the situation at Wakefield as much as we have the situation at King's Lynn. But how do you... Because one of my big gripes is if, you, if you've got a player on, on your education programme who you rate and think he's very good and he's 16, you can't put him on a contract, you can't protect him. So how, how do we resolve this problem? Because you know, what, what's to stop Leeds coming around and saying, we like that person, he's a good player, we'll take him, we'll, we'll give you nothing for him? Well, it's twofold for us because I want that to happen because that's a selling point for our club to get more people. I mean, what I'm wanting to do is players who get released in football at 18, 19 and even 20, they get released sure. by, by, by professional clubs. The world falls apart. And I call them yeah. the proverbial trialist. They'll go from what, so say they get released at League One and Two level, they'll drop down a couple of levels, not go down to National League, not get in there. Then they'll bang, bang around at another three or four trials at other clubs, not get in there. And then suddenly the confidence is here. They're on the floor. They're fed up with football. I want those players to come to us so I can rebuild them. The education will continue. So in further life or even in, 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 in the next life, uh, uh, period of life, um, they, they can get a good job and play good level at semi-pro. But I picked them up off the floor. We've regained the confidence because obviously they've got ability and they wouldn't have been at the, those clubs. And, and coach them back into being good players again and then move them on to a higher semi-pro club sure. or can we get them back into pro football? That, that, that's the aim. And the more of those that we can do, then that's a selling point and then we'll have people absolutely from everywhere flocking to come to Wakefield. That's how I want us to be. Now, on the other side of the coin is, is exactly what you're saying at clubs like yourself. Uh, there's not enough protection for, for the clubs Um who, who develop, find, develop these players, put them on the, on, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the window that other clubs can come down and uh, steal, basically. But, yep. but you know, uh, I know this doesn't happen in football, but I always wanted, I always wanted to, to look to, to whatever club I was managing, not to be looking as though I'm the one that's coming and plundering some of these best players. I'd like to think that, that I was managing a club that came and got the players, but looked after the club that lost the players or who found them and do a fair deal with them, sell-ons, sure. etc. if the boy gets so many games or gets sold on again. Sure. No, I, I, well, I agree. That's what should happen, yes. isn't it? I've often talked about, and then we listen to the podcast, about football doing the right thing. And there are some clubs that do do yes. it, and there are a lot of clubs that don't yes. do it. So it's just... But really, I, I, I think you know, the Premier League and the EFL should put pressure a code of conduct if you like and say listen you haven't got to be we'd like you to abide by this code of conduct you know so, you know if you if you go to a lower league club a non-league club who can't put them on contract and they're under 18 that you should do the following no, yeah? no, I, cer I certainly agree i certainly agree yeah. and, and um 
I think football is is now, uh, you know, it, it, it's now got an opportunity of putting everything back how it used to be, uh, where the clubs were in charge, and the clubs should be in charge because football is about them, about the clubs, uh, where um, players and agents aren't aren't running the game as much. No, no, I agree. I agree. So let let's go on to your 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 before before Wakefield you. You, you you obviously left management and you became the CEO at Chesterfield Football yes. Club for six yes. years. And that's that and that was obviously so now you've gone, you know, kind of poacher tone gamekeeper, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> you, you yeah. could argue. But I mean I mean, how was that? And how did how did you find it? Did you did you have any sympathy for the board at that point once you once you'd got stuck in and, and realized maybe from a different position that you were, you know, you got a different perspective as a manager and then another perspective as the board? Did did, did the, were there any interesting? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's interesting. Um, um, uh, and I, I brought something to Chesterfield that, that, that uh, obviously my experience and knowledge to speak with directors regarding football. Um, uh, and what's happening on the field of play, what's happening in the club, what's happening in the game, how can we be uh, successful? I mean, my first three seasons at Chesterfield, three and a half, four years, were absolutely outstanding for the club. I mean, Dave Allen was yep. the chairman, um, I was the ch chief exec, and, and we zoomed from uh, when I went there in December uh, 2011, the club were at the bottom of League One after the previous year, winning the second division championship. They were now bottom of the League One. Didn't recruit players, as I've just been talking about, the pre the summer of the League One campaign and constantly stayed at the bottom and, and got reg relegated in the summer. Um, so from the next season on, which was back in League Two, it took us 18 months to get back up. We brought Paul Cook in. Um, and, and we had a massive stride all the way up to a League One uh, semi-final uh, playoff game against Preston. And um, but you know along the way, costs were rising, players' wages were rising because the you know we were we sold in my period at Chesterfield six and a half million pounds worth of player, which we brought in. Mm. We were bringing players in uh, cheaply on free transfers. One one's a great one. Um, uh, Sam Klukas. We got Sam Klukas from Mansfield. We could have had him before Mansfield. We could have had him on a on a free from Hereford United. Um, right. But he chose Mansfield. And he played at Mansfield, in and out the team. Uh, and then we, we saw an opportunity to bring him in. We brought him in. I think we paid about 150000 for him. And I sold right. him two years later for £1.4 uh, right. so, you know, I made that club Chesterfield six, six, six and a half million pounds in transfer fees, and we probably made about, you know, a good, a good, uh, five and a half million pounds profit on transfer fees, agents' fees, and everything. I had a great time there, great period there, um, and and you know, one story I will say, we had a board meeting once, uh, one day, and you know, the directors were umming and ahhing about costs rising where agents' fees rising or risen. Um, but, you know, I did say to them that day uh, that it does cost a lot because we're paying out bonuses as well, bonus because we're winning every week in League One quite often. Um, and I did say to them, I said, it's expensive. Going up, being successful in football is expensive because you have to pay for the success where the players' contracts are coming to an end. 
you're re-signing them, you're keeping them in the club. They'll obviously want more money or they'll leave and go somewhere else. Um, so we re-signed players. We got to the League One semi-final playoff. I said also, but the opposite way, when you're spiralling down, it's even more expensive. Because you drop from yes. League One to League Two, it's going to be a hit of a million pounds in terms of sponsors, in terms of gates, in terms of TV monies, etc., um, and all them scenarios. Um, and consequently, Chesterfield, after I left, went down from League One to League Two, from League Two to National League, and they've been in the bottom six all season in the National League before it could tell. And it would have cost them more and more money to, you know, it is a, it has a negativity effect all the way down. It's tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's the momentum, isn't it, effect once you're on that but, negative but, or positive exactly, momentum. Exactly. You want to get on that positive and keep going forward. Um, but, you know, a lot of clubs <clears throat> do that. And then when the money starts to dry up, then the, 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 the progression slows down. And then suddenly, without you knowing it, it's going the opposite way. And then as it's going the opposite way, it gains momentum and you can't stop it. Yeah. So what's the solution, do you think, Chris? I mean, is there one? Well, there isn't one. It's, <laughs> it's going back to what we've just been talking five minutes earlier. It's down to recruitment at the end of the day. If you don't recruit well, sure. if you don't recruit well in management, uh, bringing managers in uh, that, that, that um, you know, understand the philosophy of your club uh, and, and, and you've, you've, got to, you've got to try and supply that manager with, with the best tools that he can to, 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 to do the job. Sure, that's yeah. it, isn't it? And um, you know, and a lot of the time, I mean, we we act as a shop window. That's what we think we are, but that we do understand that shop window needs to be paid for. That's you know? it. Um, yeah, rate that's and it. Deals. And, and you've got to do good mm. deals when you're doing a deal. Do a good deal. Um, yeah, I remember exactly. talking to one chairman about one player, and I, I won't name him, but he offered us two hundred and fifty thousand pounds. In the end, I got right. uh, nine hundred and fifty for him because I wouldn't accept. Right. I wouldn't accept. And, and and that's you know that's the sort of dealing um, that, that that or, or somebody in your club that you need that that will stand his ground but knows his stuff. You know people couldn't come on to me and say, ah, well he can't do this, he can't do that. Hey, listen, I know the answers to the questions that you're firing at me. So nobody could uh, blag me or, or 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 try and barter me down. I used to say to them, look. Sure. This player will do, can do, has done. That's what we. Mm. That's what I'm telling you now that we that we want from. And and you know, I've got I've got a string of players that we got great deals for at the club. And and how long did that process take from the from the two fifty offer to the nine fifty offer? Probably what, three what was days, that? four days. Well, that, not not much no. at all. Yeah. <laughs> And often the agents will try and oh, scupper deals where they oh, might be getting more commission from one club from it's another. Important, you know? It's important in the football club, mm. uh, especially in the in the uh, uh, hierarchy, that you have a good a good association with a number of agents. Simply yeah. because they have had their finger on the pulse over the last 25, 30 years. And they've got a sure, strong sure. a strong pull on players now. As I said earlier, this is where football clubs have now got the chance now, now got the chance now to revert that back to the clubs with what's happened uh, in, in in life with the, this virus and, and the way it's going to affect all the clubs, even Premiership. 
Yeah. So what, what what do you think? Talk about the future in general in, in the game. Now, what do you what do you what do you think is going to, um, you know, how, how is it all going to change? How's football going to change at all? Well, that, I mean, it, it's very difficult to give a, a, you know a, an answer which is going to be. Uh, it, it's going to be very difficult. I mean, Leeds one and two and even Championship cannot sustain playing without crowds. Um, it's impossible. No. There's no income coming in. So the finance has got to got to come from somewhere. So it's you know I don't think it's going to be August. Uh, crowds are going to be allowed back in. Football's going to go back to normal. Uh, season's going to kick off in August, and everybody's going. What were you panicking about? That ain't going to happen, I'm afraid. I think it's going to be a lot longer than that. Um, I'm not you know behind closed doors. You know which is coming up in the next few weeks. I'm not a great believer that that's going to be a success in terms of people being rooted to the TV watching it because I don't think the football's going to be that riveted. I think it's going to be pre-season sort of style football. Some of the games are mm. going to be poor. Uh, some of the games are going to be a non-entity because both teams, well, in the Premier League, there's only one team that's going to win the league. The interesting fact yeah. is really going to be then who's going to go down. Um, yeah. That's the box That's office the box part, office isn't it? That's the box office part. <laughs> but, 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 you know, say you're the team in the bottom three and you're, and you're battling to stay in the game um, um, and you're playing a mid-table a mid -table team that can't go down and obviously can't get into Europe, that, that team's probably going to play a different team to what, it, what if it would norm, in normal circumstances. So you might not get the right sure. results that you would have got. Um, so it's no. it's going to be interesting to, to to see what happens out at the bottom. But leagues one and two, I I, I personally don't believe. Uh, well, league two aren't playing, but league one clubs, it's going to cost them up to half a million pounds to play to finish the season. Exactly. I don't I don't think they can afford it. No, and a lot of them will think, why should we play it when it doesn't? You know that uh, uh, most of the games are non-entities. And I've I've read through the. Um, the idea, and you know, Mark Palios has come up with this concept, but his idea means that 10 clubs in the championship would be in the playoffs. That, that's nearly half the league. It just seems a ridiculous amount. The game they're going to play um, is going to be a, a financial loss. So if they played more games, bigger loss than if they just played the semi final and the final to four clubs um, and one of them yeah. goes up. Um, but if you're going to include 10 clubs, how many games are they going to play? And like I say, every game's a loss. A financial loss. It's okay if you're a, even it's tough, but if you're an owner and you've, you've, you've got massive backing to do it, fair coming. But if you want, if you're a club that's running just above the waterline, you're going to go below it mm. by playing games with no income. No, I, I agree. How do you see non-league panning out? You well, know, the uh, national you know, league it's the, the same league. in the non-league, semi-pro, and national league, uh, conference north, conference south. You know, there's a lot of clubs that will be battling to, 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 to survive. Um, I do think that there the, the, the may be grassroots football, may, may get viewers, I don't know. But, you know, once again, you need the support. You need some sort of income to come in. But it may be that the clubs then go down for the younger players that don't need that much money to be paid, uh, reduce the wage yeah. bill. Uh, you know, or, or the commitment to paying players, you know, might be paying three, four hundred or a hundred pound a game. You might have to drop down to fifty, sixty, seventy pound a game. Um, 
Yep. Do you get lesser players? I'm not so certain because there'll be a lot of players who are looking for a game. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, be an interesting right, time, yeah, won't it? Will be interesting. I do think that it will weed out or should weed out a lot of problems in the game that we've had for a long time that we haven't been able to remedy because of various things. Here's as I say again, this is an opportunity to 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 come together and help each other. I mean, I am a you know so frustrated that the Premier League uh, are not helping football one iota lower down in as such. You know, they might be forwarding some payments that were you know weren't due, but they forward them forward. But they, you know that's you know the amount of money, and I've said it for years now, the amount of money that is leaving our country to go to other clubs abroad, vast amounts of money going there and to the agents abroad, you know, football would be survived forever if that money were kept in this country and kept within our game. Sure, sure. So you think there's going to be a change? I mean, obviously we're going to, hopefully, I mean, if, if the Brexit's going to, we, we talked about this in an earlier issue, that it's going, to, it's going to force the value of UK-based players up, you know, because it's going to be harder to come into yeah. the country technically if you're a non-league player, you know, a, a, a non-cash yes. player, should we say, a non-international player. So that's that would be good, I guess. But but as you say, there's a lot of money going out the game, and it, and, and although I mean, I'm often asked about, you know, do I think the Premiership should you know, should be giving more money to our, our level? And I said, well, you know, legally they no. shouldn't give us anything, but morally they have a little bit of a duty. Yeah, yeah. Um, to, just 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 to you know, because without without the non-league game, you don't get your Jamie Vardy's, you don't get your Tyrone Mings, you know, you don't get these players. It's much, many more players than people realise actually um, come through than the non-league no, pyramid. Oh, that's know? right. But given that our our hmm. our game, our our, our professional semi-professional game is looked upon as the best in the world. The best in, and I'm not talking about yes. Man U's and Arsenal's and I'm talking about your club, Kings Lynn, and all the semi-pro and pro clubs around the country. The pyramid of English football is 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 looked at from around the world as the best. And, um, you know, we all, we all should be in it together. I'm not saying Premier League clubs like give a first division club Two million quid and go and waste it on players or 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 dribble it away, sure. but it's football in the country brings a lot of uh, income. It brings a lot of uh, delight. It brings a lot of things to so social in in life and to the communities of cities, towns all over the place. It brings a lot to to everybody within within the country, and I believe that we should be working together from top to bottom in making it as strong as possible, possibly, that, that we can. Yeah, no, I do agree that that, that would make that would make a lot more sense. And, and that's why I think the FA Cup has got the you know, what the FA Cup has got you know, as the best. I mean, I think the major mistake with the FA Cup, they made the FA was allowing Manchester United to drop out of it that year ago, oh. many, many years ago when, when they yeah. had that game yeah. in Brazil. It, it's it's um, sad. It's sad, really, that you know when you when you look through the history of the game, and you know people say you shouldn't look back. Well, yeah, but look, but look back with pride. What the FA Cup has done for this country and people within the country, all over the country, regarding uh, the pride of of their club in whatever year, how well they did in the FA Cup, whether they won it as a as a, as a small time. 
club in the big leagues or as a small club playing against the big timers and getting a great result, a victory, a replay. It's, it, it, it's, it's second to none. And, and to defraud the competition by playing weakened teams, uh, you just, the, the Manchester United situation where they didn't play in the competition, it's, it, it's wrong mm. in, my, in my opinion. It's the greatest cup competition in the world. Manchester City, who recently have had the best team in the Premier League, have respected the FA Cup in recent years. When, you know, they're trying to win the Champions League, they've won the Premier League, they've won the League Cup, they've tried to win the FA Cup by playing the strongest teams, but being beaten on a couple of occasions, a number of years, by, by lower, lesser teams like Wigan in the FA Cup final, playing against a very strong Man City team and beating 1-0. Um, that's the beauty of sure. the FA Cup. That's the beauty that sells it to young kids when they're coming, you know, they're coming through the ranks at 8, 9, 10 years of age. That's what I want to do. I want to play at Wembley. I want to win the FA Cup. That's what I wanted to do when I was a, a boy uh, growing up. I remember watching Sheffield Wednesday in 66 lose to Everton in the FA Cup final. Devastated. 2-0 up. 2-0 up and lose 3-2. <laughs> sure. You know? Um, oh. But you grow up and then suddenly, 20-odd years later, you're playing in the FA Cup for Sheffield Wednesday. You're playing in the FA Cup for Sunderland and Manchester United. It's a great competition. And, it, you know, we, we, you know we, we shouldn't be running it down. We should be keeping it at the forefront of everybody uh, to be proud of. Yeah, I agree. It's very important how they deal with it this season yeah. and how they deal with it next season. Yeah, yeah of course. Because... Um, Okay, but so so what about uh, a couple of points to finish on Chesterfield now? Obviously, I mean the owner's trying to sell. Is that right, Dave? Yeah, he's trying to, to, to the community, it, to away. the community trust, which which uh, you know it 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 will be very difficult. Um, you know, the, the National League is a tough league. Clubs go down into the National League. I'm not saying Chesterfield, but a lot of clubs go down into the National League and don't respect it. Fans don't respect no. it because they think, well, it's rubbish. It's not that good. We should come straight back up. It'll be easy. It's not. It's a very, very competitive league. And I think it's actually as competitive, if not more competitive, than League Two. Because you have a lot of new clubs, sure. new um, financially sound-based clubs in that National League um, that are difficult to beat. They've got that strong community spirit and they've got that team spirit that is on the upward, whereas a club, a league club, going into that league, some players think they're better than this level, fans certainly think they're better than that level, and suddenly they become unstuck. And Chesterfield, in the last two seasons, have been battling against relegation rather than fighting for promotion. So it's going to be important whoever Dave Allen sells the club to and... and, and how they restructure it, can they restructure it to be able to uh, attack the top position of the league to get out of it and back into the EFL where a club like Chesterfield and my old club, Hartlepool, should be. Yep. And I mean, do you think they, and do you think the, the, the selling it to the fans would be something which, you know, cause it is a big job. Is, is it a big, is, you know, is it too much of a big job for them or do you think it's something that they could actually well, handle? Well, once again, you know, turn Steve, around? it'll go down to finance. It'll go down, you know. Yeah. It's it's difficult. As CEO of a football club, 
you're always under you're always getting criticized about cost of seats cost of that changing this changing that when you're only trying to make it better to make it financially better um now if you want to run a club as you know yourself and you want to make profit i mean i made profit in the last three years at, at, at chesterfield simply by selling our best players uh, and making vast sure. amount of money, but Chesterfield's losing. We're losing over a million pounds a year. They've lost a million pounds sure. every season the last two or three seasons since I've left. Um, that's because it's expensive to run a football club. Now, if the supporters trust take it over, they're going to try and run it, not so much as a profit, but obviously trying to cut the losses to, to near zero. To be able to keep it going, but if you're doing that, your playing squad is going to deteriorate, or you're not going to be able to get the players in that are going to be competing at the top. So it's it's going to be a very difficult, interesting, but a very difficult period. And there's not been many clubs that's been run by fans that have become a success. No, and um, I mean, what what was interesting? I mean, there's no. Um, secret that I've had a bit of a battle. We've got a small group of it. It's a trust that hasn't got any shares in the club, but they, you know, well, they don't actually want to buy any shares because I actually offered them the chance to buy some, and they and they they said yeah. that they were they were interested. However, um, they've got some money in the bank. They've got no, not huge amounts. They've got sixty, yeah. seventy thousand pounds in the bank. And I, I recently set a thing up and said, look, I mean, Darlington have raised through their fans over one hundred and thirty thousand quid, which is between seven hundred fans. It's yeah. about two hundred pound a fan, which is you know very 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 good and that and they said that's a third of their budget so we 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 said look we've got to raise some money um to cover costs we don't know what's going to happen next season and and we and we opened this war chest which is what we call it uh, and asked for donations and, and and very kindly some of the, the people that all the people all the names that i knew yeah. donated yeah people that i'm you know people that, but the but the but the the view from the trust on their own uh website their forum website was that um, I understand this was was that this is Mr. Cleve's hobby, and he's the owner. So why should we give any money? And that that their attitude, yes. I thought that was a bit yeah. wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 um, it's but it's hard. Hobby. Steve, it's hard because um, there's always somebody trying to trip you up. There's always somebody can do it better, but then when you give them the opportunity, they don't really don't want to do it. And, no. and no. You, know, I, I, you know, I have this thing myself is that. Fans of every football club create problems for the club because um, on one hand you'll get a group of fans who are saying we we should be running at a profit. We've got 20,000 people yeah. coming every week and we're losing money. Why? Well, you're losing money because in that 20,000 there's probably 15,000 who want more players coming in. Who want the team to win every week. Sure. They want... They want um, the best strikers, the best goalie, the best defenders, best this, best that. That all costs a lot of money. And then when they do get success sure. with it, as I said earlier in this conversation, the more success you get, the more money you have to pay out. And and, and, and exactly. it goes on yeah. and on and on and on. Um, it's easy on the sideline or sitting on a computer and slagging everybody off and run a football club. Um, because that's easy to do. What isn't easy to do is trying to keep all the plates in the air spinning, keep the club funded to keep it going and trying to get success yeah. on the field of play. Very hard. Very, yeah, exactly. Very hard. Very difficult. 
And, and did, 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 were you aware of all that when you were a manager? Did you think, oh, oh yeah, has it been more? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, well, I mean, as a, you know, yeah, you, you, you were, when you're the manager, you'll get criticised because, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I said earlier, you know, I released 15 players at Sheffield Wednesday out of 16. I kept one player. And then I brought in 13 players at Sheffield Wednesday that summer. And we, and as I say, right. Paul Sturrock then got promotion with probably eight or nine of those boys playing a big part over the season or in that actual final, the match. Um, but as fans, fans will always tell you, meaning me, or remind me or remind others of the bad players that you may have brought in over the period of time. They'll only remind you of that, sure. you know? Um, I mean, it's, as I'm saying this now, we had a, we had a, um, a Chris Brunt's just been uh, leaving West Brom. I, I signed Chris Brunt from Middlesbrough on a free transfer. He was, eight, was 18 years of age. Okay. And I took him in at Hillsborough. He was a midfield player, central midfield. I didn't feel that Chris had the energy that we wanted in League, uh, uh, League One. Uh, to be dominant and everything else you need in that central midfield player. But he had a wonderful left foot. So I played him wide left, brought him into the team wide left. Then after that, he went on and Sheffield Wednesday sold him for three million pounds. So some, some fan put on yesterday saying, Chris Brunt, ex-Sheffield Wednesday, brought him, got to give Chris Turner credit for uh, selling, uh, bringing him in for nothing, selling him for three million pounds. What a player, what a career, blah, blah, blah. Then some guy goes in, yeah, but what about Kim Olsen who we signed? Who was a centre forward who yeah, didn't yeah, really yeah. make it, you know? And you think and that that's sure. football fans. That's football fans. Yeah. And as a that, manager, you have to accept yeah. it. And it's like when I signed I signed Dean Smith uh, when he was at Leighton Orient. I signed him at Sheffield Wednesday for fifteen thousand pounds because we didn't have hardly any money to sign the centre half. Some guy came up to me after one of the games and said, Listen, why have you brought Dean Smith to this club? £15,000 from Leighton on. Where's Sheffield Wednesday? I said, because the guy who I wanted, I couldn't afford. He said, who's that? I said, John Terry at Chelsea. That's who I'd like to bring him play at Sheffield <laughs> Wednesday. But I can only bring in players that we could yeah. afford at that time. But fans don't see that. Yeah, They don't see that. No, it was John... Was, <laughs> yeah. was John Terry available but you in those see, days? <laughs> uh, the, the fans drive, drive, drive. Yeah. And, and it's like in the pre-season. If a club went out and signed 12 players, doesn't matter who they are, 12 players, yeah. fans would go, hey, we're having a right go this season. We're having a right go. Those might be yeah. the worst 12 players that football club's ever signed. But before the season starts, the fans yeah. are up for it. Oh, new players, new this, new that. Now, I remember Hartlepool one year, I think I signed one player. I've got a guy called Tommy Widgington, used to be at Southampton. Great professional, great midfield player. There was disappointment. But I only needed that one player to come into my midfield and lead it. And that's consequently, that's why we ended up 14 points clear, because I brought in the right midfield player. I didn't need five, six signings. I knew I had my team. And sometimes you have to trust the manager, trust the club that what he's doing turns out to be good. No, no, I, I agree. So, uh, no, very good point. So, just a couple of points to finish on. Tell me, um, 
Kings Lynn. I, I, I guess you've never. I mean, I'm guessing you may, have you ever played well, Kings Lynn or been to Kings Lynn? Kings Lynn, but I used to go to a place as a boy with my mum and dad called Downham Market, which is close. So I've got yeah. a little bit of affinity I, I, for Kings I know Lynn, it well. Norwich, and all that area down there. A lovely part of the world. Yeah. But I haven't. I never actually played against Kings Lynn. No, I would well, love hopefully to come you'll down. come down and watch your games to try and rectify part of that. Yeah? yeah, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you. And yeah, I will. You know, if you fancy it, yeah, just let us know. I'll make an effort to come down. Good, yeah, good. Yeah, we'll I'll hold you to that. To come down. Yeah, uh, well, see what you think. Uh, you enjoy it. It's good, good, great, great football. And hopefully, we get we yes. allow some people yeah. in the stadium oh, well, and watch it. So. That would yeah, be nice. Let's hope so. And then um, the point the question I ask everyone, I, I've got I've got I've got a little marginal chance here that I'm in my head that I think you 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 might you might like them. But we always ask about uh, ACDC. Are you pro ACDC? A fan of fat of, of the rock band? I hope I don't hasten to add. Um, are you a, are you a fan of ACDC? Or I've got to be honest. I, I don't really know a lot of their music because I wouldn't have listened to it because I'm not that that I'm, I'm a big Chris Rea fan. Chris Rea, Paul Carrick, oh, okay, okay. Michael okay. Mechanics, you know that. That's my scene. So I'm not a heavy metal band listener. My brother was. He was a no, big yes fan. No. They... Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Good band. John Anderson and all that. Yeah. Yeah, that's athletic. Does he? Rick I mean, Wakeman lives in North Bay, around the corner does. from me. Great yeah. guy. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, I'll have to send you a CD as well. I'll give you a CD when you come down as well. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. Something to listen to on the way home, see if we can convert you. <laughs> Good stuff, Chris. Well, thank you very much enjoy indeed. It. I really appreciate enjoy it. it. I, always in, the time. I always enjoy talking yeah. football. Always enjoy talking football. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there's not much else to talk <laughs> no, about, is there? That's no. what we need. <laughs> yeah. That's the key to life. Okay, Good. See, well, thanks for having me Thanks, on. Chris. I hope everything goes well for Kings Lynn. And as I say, I will come down and see you play this season. All right, Steve. Good. Okay. Look forward to it. Pleasure. Thank you very Bye much. Bye. Thanks, Chris. So, welcome back. Um, I thought that was very interesting. And, and Chris Turner is one of the few people who has been a player, has been a manager, and has been a CEO of a football club. I don't know that many others who have done all those particular roles. There's probably a few. I, I guess there's technical directors. Um Peter checks one of those, but he hasn't been a manager. Um, so there's, there's, there are there are other people involved, but 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 I think Chris is not. There's not that many who've done all three sides, so he can see things from all sides. And I thought I thought the, he, you know, his his thoughts were were very interesting. Um, a lot of them concurred with how I've been um, feeling. Um, his views on the fans, uh, I don't disagree with. I think the vast majority of fans at our football club, Kings Lynn. Uh, fantastic. Um, lots of support, lots of supportive fans, people that want their club to do well and understand that to do well, it needs support. That's what they are. That's why we call supporters supporters, because they support the football club. Um, there's a very few uh, people who are who are not well, they're not supporters, but they basically unless they can own a lump of it or be, you know, but as I say, when they well I said in the interview with Chris, given the chance to own a piece of it, um, they often recoil. So um, what they really want to do is own all of it. But that doesn't make any sense because to run it um, is, a, is a, you know, I'm not saying there's not a place for it, but there is a, there could be, well be a place for it, but 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 to run it all completely, impossible. So I, I'm, in a, I, you know, I, I'm in a firm belief, um, personally, that the, that the fans, you know, are, are an important role and without them, the whole the whole the whole project for me is isn't worth even 
even doing. It's, point, it's pointless. But whatever you do do, equally, um, a certain element will always attack you. So I've just developed a skin to drone those people out. I don't, there's one or two, you know where they are, they're idiots. You see their posts on Facebook and stuff, and I just ignore them. Um, I don't go on there that often, but whenever I do, I see them. I just don't even bother reading it, because you know they're not going to say anything positive. And so what's the point? And I think Darlington approved this week with their £131,000 uh, raise. That that represents. They wanted to raise a hundred thousand, and that represented one third of the budget. I.e., the budget is three hundred thousand. I don't. I don't know if that includes the manager and physios and all that kind of stuff. But if it's a playing budget, that gives them a budget of about seven thousand pounds a week. So, <coughs> forty weeks or thereabouts. Um, and they have a slightly bigger, not by much, by twenty or thirty people a game, average crowd than Kings Lynn, and that's where the fans that attack me have really got to. Uh, you know, wake up and smell the coffee a little bit. There is Darlington raising over a hundred thousand pounds to 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 give a budget of of that amount to the to the manager, and uh, and with a crowd level slightly bigger than what we have. So if we haven't got that kind of support from the fans, and if we want to be as competitive as Darlington, which I think we were last season then the, 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 the extra finding it is either got to come from commercial income, which most of these people who are my detractors would tell you are dead simple, dead easy, just ring someone up and they you know, send you the money. I mean, why, why wouldn't they? I mean, it's just nonsense. Or um, it's got to come from the, from the person that runs the club himself, uh, i.e. me. Um, but, that isn't, but then they're equally have a go at you and say, well, that's not sustainable to have a guy just chucking money in, etc. And of course it isn't. So you can't win either way, which is why it's a pointless argument getting involved with it. But it's, it's, it's an interesting point to... Uh, to discuss, so yeah, our war chest uh, appeal, where we've asked for fifty thousand, uh, is being supported by lots of people. We're keeping people abreast of how much money we're actually bringing in. It will all go to the manager, um, and you know, if it's a reasonable amount, it will make the difference between you know, can we afford to keep Manda Marriott or can we not? That's what it boils down to, and it won't, you know, if we. If we don't get the money in, um, we won't get the players in. So um, I can put in so much and, you know, I'll no doubt match whatever the war chest done and more. But the reality is it, it, that, that, you know, we don't, it's, there's so many unknowns at the moment. It makes everything very difficult to plan for. So whilst there are many clubs just sitting still, that's all, all they can do because they, they just don't know what to do until we know what league we're in. Um, I mean, even pre-season friendlies. I mean, how can we organise those? And that's that they are a money earner, much that people will snuff, sniff at them and all the rest of it. You know, it's again all about supporting your club. And I think, um, I think what we have got now is a good level of support. I think our gates are up considerably, and I think the the, the club can go forward from here and can grow even more. Um, but for that to happen, we just need to drown out the guys that aren't so good and and and, and listen to the noises that the ones that are good um, make. So that's how, that's how I see it. As regards um, where we are now, so the, as I've, this morning they've announced that the Women's Premier League have gone on a points-per-game basis, which means that Chelsea, who are second, have won the league uh, because they have one game in hand, I understand, over Man City the last time I looked. I can't, not that I follow it hugely, but um, I follow it a little bit. So I, I wouldn't dispute. I think, I think that's a bad idea. I think it's a good idea. Uh, I am going to say that, of course. But uh, the... The points per game ratio, at least, is now being applied across various, uh, you know, it's been played in out in rugby, it's now played out in women's football, um, so why can't it be played out in men's football? I think these are all very strong arguments, um, which we will see it, um, hopefully, um, be used as the way to determine the season. The vote now, as I say, is on Tuesday, so I don't 
still don't know how we're going to end up next week about ours, but I think next week we'll have certainly have a better idea of where we actually are, and I will be having a, an interesting guest on next week as well. Uh, we'll be discussing all sorts of things, um, but we'll do we'll deal with that next week. Um, and as the club, just to keep you all in the loop, I mean the pitch work's been well publicised on various social media. People have gone over and taken photographs of it um, and put it on the. Um, put it on social media um it's a little bit more than just reseeding it's it's a lot more than that we're leveling out the pitch we're putting in significant drainage into the bottom uh, into the middle of the pitch and we're um obviously we are reseeding we're putting a sand layer layer across it all increasing the drainage across the whole pitch so there's a lot being done to get that pitch right um and we've also uh, Graham, um, graham sorry um chris has just very kindly talked about the education side how important that is to his latest project, which I think is very interesting, and we'll watch that from a distance and see how that goes. Uh, but the the interesting scenario there is that's what obviously we're doing as a football club as well, launching that with um, an education provider, which is not a um, you know not a private one, but a school called King Edward School, and turning that school into a hopefully a sporting academy, um, helping help or giving them that, that option as well as the, the education side, and that's going very well. And we've um, in, actually brought someone on to help with that this week called Colin Seal, who is joining us from Geisley, um, where he was there at last jo- last job at the last football club as Geisley. And he's relocating to Norfolk and he is going to um, help um, set that up and bring in, bring in um, new uh, um, you know, students who would like to be trained by Ian Culverhouse and um, other people who you know, want to benefit from their, from their experience. And I think that will be an incredible thing to be uh, part of so that's that's really really exciting i've also been dealing with our pitch a lot of pitch sorry our um shirts for next season trying to work out those because all the shirt people have been furloughed which has made getting next season's designs very difficult i'd already sorted out the away shirt design i hadn't done the home shirt design i'm still waiting to sort that out um i've given some ideas over this week because i've rejected all the other ones because i felt they were too similar to what we've um currently had this season so i'm waiting for those to come back um, so that's been dealt with and you know there's just been a lot of work um, I, probably I would say I've worked as hard in this period because I've just been you know just fixing up a lot of a lot of the issues a lot of the insurances have come up for renewal um, one of the interesting points is that we had a I mean I took out a separate business interruption insurance which did cover the diseases um, and I therefore felt that we should be getting about £35,000 from that policy. However, as with most insurance companies, what they tend to do is promise you the earth and when it comes to paying out, not deliver. And they've said that the reason they won't pay us out is because it wasn't the disease that closed us down, it was the government that closed us down. Uh, and my, my policy specifically said that if people had a uh, something, I can't remember the exact words, but a disease which was transferable within 25 miles, well, we certainly had people at the King, um, the Queen Elizabeth Hospital, which is uh, less than 25 miles away, only a couple of miles away. So anyway, that to me is is not right i think the insurance companies what they've done is they've said let's spend five or ten million pounds with a lawyer and try and get rid of these claims and then do the right thing and pay out x you know, hundreds of millions to all the people that bought these policies but then of course why why would you buy a policy they don't do what it says on the tin so what i'm doing that with is nothing i'm waiting for the there's a big case being taken against another insurer called hiscock which i've always had problems with dealing with and so it doesn't surprise me that they've actually 
not paid out their uh, people where they've got their policies either. So let's see how that goes. Hopefully Hiscox will lose. And if they do lose that, that will set up the floodgates to happen for all the insurance companies to um, to be to pay out um, all these people that have bought these policies, which, you know, it, 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 it's categoric to me that you know, it, it, the policy states it's, a, it's, it's an infectious disease. And that's what it is. Uh, we had to close down because of it. We don't know if anyone had it or not. I accept that. But the point is, it was it wasn't caused by anything else other than the disease. The government may have been the trigger, but the point it was the disease that got the government to act. So I can't see how they can not not take it out. Obviously, one or two of the detractors I think actually did mention one at the club having an insurance policy. Well, we did. Um, I actually took that out separately, and it and it and it hasn't covered us. So there we go. I've also got an insurance policy in case you know various other things uh, come into play. Which obviously I'm you know you always worry whether they actually will um, pay out. But they've all come up for renewals. Just, you know, half of me is not wanting to renew it because what's the point um, if every time you have an issue they don't pay? But um, there's another issue. So, but we have, and then there's other policies been taken out. So that's also been dealt with, and and yeah, um, lots of other little bits and pieces actually have been have, have been uh, yeah, which have, which which have been good. So uh, lots of admin, lots of you know ticking boxes and making things you know, making plans and making sure we're up to date and making sure we're going forward in the right direction so that we we know where we are. So that's it. So I'll get on with publishing this now. So you've got something to listen to over the weekend. Um, if those of you that have problems sleeping, you might find it useful. And I will um, come back to you next week, hopefully earlier next week than normal. And we will discuss where we are um, with, with everything and see how that's going to affect the mighty Lynn and how we're going to do our other policies next year. But it's all, um, you know, these things are... You know, life, life happens and things happen, and we just need to now use everything we've got in a positive way. Because there's been a lot of negatives, but we need to try and, as you know, as Chris was mentioning, you know, it's a good chance for the football community to reset a lot of things, and a lot of things will be reset, I think, and I think that needs to happen at all levels and in all areas. And so let's see how they, uh, how they develop. But um, yeah, good. So hope you've enjoyed the show, and I will be back with you at the early part of next week to discuss where we are and what's happening and have yet another interesting guest and i hope you quickly very finally can you please if you're if you like the show please rate it give it some stars um if you'd like to leave a review a te- you know a little testimony of what you think of it that would be really appreciated if you have any questions please ask me if you have anyone you'd like to listen to i know i've had a message from a northampton fan this week saying can i get his chairman on so if you're listening uh please uh, contact me if you are the northampton chairman so i would like to have a chat with you um and i'm, I'm hoping you're hearing from people who yeah, you've heard of their names and a lot of the time you think oh, that's interesting and, and just people to give you a different slant on things with different ideas and stuff which you won't get perhaps in the more general media because it's not so um, niche maybe. Anyway, that's it. Um, take care. Thank you again. Speak soon. Bye.